Well, welcome to class two of the end. The two shall become one. Thank you all so much for being here. I'm just going to recap. This week we're going to go over the five pillars, but I kind of want to recap last week. Okay. So last week we touched on trust in marriage and we talked about the relationship of it and keeping it closed, right? How to preserve it, why it looks the way that it looks and how you can make it look even better, right? So trust is one of those essential components to a steady marriage. Without trust, it's hard to love, it's hard to respect, it's definitely hard to submit. Would you agree? Yeah, it, it, it is. It's also hard to communicate when you don't trust the other person. So we gave the analogy about trust being like an oven keeping everything closed so that it's nice and succulent by the time it is finished. And in any marital relationship, we want to make sure that we are keeping the lines of communication open so that we are sizzling and not scorching, <laughs> right? And keeping that trust up and building it up so that we have not breached it or spoiled it. Now, I know that I used to say, why is it that my husband just doesn't talk to me? You know, have you ever been there where it's just like, I wish he would just talk more. You know, my husband would say to me, I don't have as many words as you do. <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. But, <laughs> but if, you're, if your heart's cry is just that you want your husband to talk to you more, it is paramount that we keep that relationship oven closed. Okay? If we want our husband's heart right here in our hands, we have to let him know that his heart can be trusted with us and that we can not tell, you know, this one, that one, and this one, the other one, but that we really can't keep everything close. Let's <laughs> see your face. All right, so. Oh, well, I did, okay, so let's, let's get to the overview for class two. So for class two, we're gonna be dealing with singlehood and marriage, discovering a woman's deepest need, and then discovering a man's deepest need, and then the S word is not a four-letter word. Now, you know, if you're going through any type of marriage, conference, seminar, Bible study, you will not get away from Proverbs 31. We know that, right? Okay, so if you'd like, you can open up to Proverbs 31, and we are going to kind of skip around in that scripture just a little bit. All right. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. There we go with that trust again. And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. What I love about this scripture is whether you think that it's one woman, whether you think that it's many women, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. The fact is God is giving us the standard and he's saying this is what our goal should look like. But he's also telling us that we are extremely valuable. We are a treasure to our husbands. And also by keeping that oven closed, we increase our worth, <laughs> right? Because it says right there that uh, the heart of her husband trusts in her. So we were already valuable when he found us, but now 
his heart is entrusted to us. And so our worth has been increased in his eyes. And then in verse 11, it says he will have no lack of gain. You are a blessing and a valuable source of wealth to your husband. Isn't that nice to hear? Sometimes we don't always hear that, do we? You know, we, we don't tend to walk in that truth. And so God is saying, this is what I am telling you. I'm telling you that this is the case and that you are going to walk in this truth. When we don't walk in the truth, it's like having millions and millions of dollars in the bank, right? Um, I'm taking these off because of this. Uh, <laughs> millions and millions of dollars in the bank and then living a life of poverty. That's, that's really what it's like, right? We must not cheapen our worth by outing our husbands <laughs> in front of others or discrediting him in any way. So we can disagree with our husbands all we want, but in order to build the trust that a marriage so desperately needs, we must make sure it is never in public that we confront him and never to others. Even when confronting him at home, it is always through seeking the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And remember when we went over Ephesians, we talked about that unity of spirit in the bond of peace. So the secret to helping him open up more to you is in those last two. When we disagree with them, it's okay. God didn't say we can't disagree, you know, because well, sometimes I feel like I'm smarter. <laughs> we know that's not true. Uh, <laughs> but we can disagree and it's okay. As It's just how we present that disagreement. So this brings us to our first pillar. And that first pillar is peace. Peace. Ephesians 4.3 says, being diligent to preserve, let me see if I can have it come up. There we go. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Peace in marriage means protecting the quality of being connected with one another in the Holy Spirit in a cementing or fusible way that combines and strengthens your harmony in relation to one another. That's peace. Our goal in marriage is harmony. That's our goal. Sometimes marriage can offer up single servings, as we know. Now, I told y'all last week that I did not have the best role models of marriage growing up, right? But I really felt that the reason why they were not great role models is just because they didn't pick the right person. <laughs> you know, they didn't pick the right person. I picked the right person. I was going to be married happily ever after. <laughs> right now we're a military family and over the course of the last 22 years we have moved 15 times I know right that can be trying on any marriage we I, I went from Missouri to Texas to DC to Maryland to blah 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 right and that really can be trying on a marriage but what I will say to you is in the midst of all of that, I think I told y'all like for the first two years of our marriage, we were completely separated. And so that can make you feel lonely. And then even when we got together, we were lonely because literally we were two single people living together. That's, that's what we were, okay? And we had no godly counsel. We had no mentors. We were trying to navigate this ocean liner of a marriage 
but with only the training and spiritual know-how of a tugboat. <laughs> so that was not going to work real well, okay? Let me see. Uh, let me make sure I have it. Okay, so right now, when you're thinking about your marriage, right, I want you to think about any time that you might have felt lonely in your marriage. What were the circumstances in that? I know for me, yeah, the catalyst was the separation because of the military, but that wasn't the cause. The cause of my loneliness, the cause of my husband and I bickering all the time and being lonely even when we were together, I had no peace in my home, but I had no peace in my home because I had no peace within me. And that was the cause. So I learned one valuable lesson in the midst of all of that though. And the valuable lesson is that your story may not necessarily be like mine, right? But I learned, even though I was not a Christian at the time, I learned to cry out to God. And when I cried out to God, it sounded something like this, Lord, fix him. <laughs> Just fix him now. Lord was like, mm -hmm, I'll wait till your prayer changes. <laughs> and then the prayer, yeah, yeah. Then, then, then the prayer was, Lord, I can't take this anymore. You know, this, this marriage has to change. You're going to have to fix some things because we cannot continue like this. That was the second prayer. The third prayer was, all right, Lord, I'm humble. <laughs> Just fix me, because I can't do this anymore. Just fix me. And I tell you, God is so true to his word. He is so true to his word. In, in Psalm 71, it says, Oh God, hasten to deliver me. Oh Lord, hasten to my help. In 70 verse 5, it says, But I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And this is really what I sounded like at the end. I was like, God, I just, I can't do this anymore. I don't know why you're not listening to me. And I'm, when I was really crying out. And then the last one was, Lord, hear my prayer. This is Psalm 102.1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. I almost felt, and maybe you have felt like this too sometimes, that you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, and it's almost like... God is here, but your prayers are kind of somewhere over here. You know, like he just, he's not getting it. <laughs> That's how I felt. And I was like, Lord, we, we have to do something. So during this low point, God did two things. Number one, he saved me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yay. And then the second thing is he gave me a mentor. Now, I didn't realize that she was actually my mentor at the time, but I was crying out to this woman and I didn't even know her. That's how bad it was. I didn't even know her. And the first thing she did was open up the scriptures to me. Now, when you get a mentor, that's the first thing you want them to do. Because at that point, I was all in the flesh, <laughs> all in the flesh. And the mentor is supposed to be there to, you know, kind of reel you back in, and snap you out of the flesh and bring you back into the spirit. The scripture that she opened up to me was Matthew 19, 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And I think she opened this one up is because, and I didn't tell her this part, but the Lord heard this part. My husband and I were about to get a divorce. And in this scripture, it talks about let no man separate. So whether it's a judge, whether it's just, you know, someone who has written up a piece of paper, a lawyer, whomever, whether it's husband and wife, 
let no man separate the union that God has put together. And so right in there, God was like, okay, no one means no one. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you understand that, but that really does mean no one. So my mentor helped me look, helped me to look at marriage in a completely different light. That although I was married to this man, that it was not a contract that could just easily be broken, like what I grew up thinking. But this is a promise. And it's not just a promise that I made to him, but it's a promise that I made to God. And then I thought, okay, Lord, let no man separate. That means I got to live with this crazy man for the rest of my life. <laughs> surely, surely, surely you got something else better than that. <laughs> but the epiphany uh, could have been overwhelming for for someone who just was not saved at that time, okay? And even a new Christian as I was, that epiphany could have just been like, okay, Lord, I really don't know if I can handle all this. But the beautiful thing is my interactions with my husband, I would love to say that they changed. They changed slightly, <laughs> slightly, and not, not completely, but the Lord was working on both of us. And so that was the beautiful thing. There was a peace that began to fill me and because that peace started to fill me, I could begin to see changes in my husband. Ever so slight at the beginning, but I saw changes in him. So that was an amazing thing. Now, when you have peace in your home, God is saying, look, I can't do all this other stuff that I need to do with all the turmoil that's going on in your home. I need for there to be peace because without peace, there's not gonna be love. There's not going to be respect. There'll be a whole lot of uh, 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 uh. communications dead, right? So Lord's like, I need peace. And so because there was peace, then he could bring on the next pillar, which is love. Now, this is discovering a woman's deepest need. When I got married, I thought my husband's deepest need was love. And it is not. <laughs> It is not at all. I mean, they, you know, men want to be loved. That's, that's, you know, a nice byproduct, but that's not the deepest need. Okay. But for us, it is. And of course we can go to first Corinthians 13, four, where it says love is patient and love is kind and it is not jealous. And when I would read that, I would read it as love, but then you know how they say to put your name in there. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not patient. <laughs> I'm not kind at all. And I had been very jealous and, it, you know, on and on and on. And God was saying, this is what I'm trying to get into you. This is where I need you to be. Stop worrying about him. And this is where you need to be. And so when I started meditating on this scripture and started not forgetting about my husband, but not concentrating on all of his faults so much, he actually started to look better to me. He really did, because when I'm looking at myself through this lens, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you know, I got a little stain over here, I got a little stain over there, and I don't see his stains as much, okay? But in, you know what, let's, let's turn to page 54. In here, I have, it's under real life application. I always ask my clients, do you love you? Because a lot of times we think we love ourselves, but in actuality, we really don't. Because the real question should be, do you God you? And what I mean by that is God is love. And if you don't see yourself the way God sees you, 
you're not really loving yourself. I know for me, uh, <laughs> sometimes I would look at everybody else and think, oh, they're so awesome and see all the amazing things in them. But then when I would look at myself, I'm like, mm, this isn't good and this isn't good. And I wouldn't see the good in myself. So I'm going to read this. Uh, right here, it says, do this for yourself. You may want to make sure no one will interrupt you during this exercise. Go to a place that has a full length mirror and where you can close the door and have privacy. And I say, I'll wait. <laughs> okay, now I'm not gonna read all of that, but the gist of it is, you are to look at yourself in the mirror. Yourself, nothing, yourself. <laughs> and look at the contours of your body. Look at every facet of yourself. And you stand in that mirror and you say positive things to yourself. Because all day long, we hear such negative things negative things. We, we go on Facebook and we see everybody's wonderful outsides, right? And we don't see the horrible insides. <laughs> you know, I, I think I went on Facebook today and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to be transparent with y'all. And I was just sharing all of the yucky stuff, you know, that people don't see that I know other people are going through as well. So when we look at in the mirror, it's like, what is it that we're really seeing? Are we seeing ourselves the way God sees us? Then we do this until we do. Okay, so that is a wonderful exercise. I say 54, I meant 55, my bad. Okay, all right, so where were we? Do, 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 do. Okay, oh yeah, I was right, 54. Okay, so back to what I was going to say before. When we're looking at our husbands, a lot of times we're looking at them to validate us. We're, we're not looking at them to love us. We're looking at them to validate us and complete us, and that is not their job. That's honestly not their job. I know I was looking at my husband to do the same thing for me. You know, I would think, uh, well, why, can't, why is it that you can't read my mind? <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. Well, what? You should know what I'm thinking. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're thinking. But he's, he's not there to complete me. But I'm going to read this to you and tell me if you can relate to this, right? So let's see if I'm, okay. So before the wedding, most view marriage like the movie Jerry Maguire. Have you all seen Jerry Maguire? Okay. If you haven't seen it, please go stream it. It is full of gems. This movie stars Tom Cruise as sports agent Jerry Maguire and Renee Zellweger, who plays Jerry's wife, Dorothy. In the film's climactic scene, Jerry, who is separated from his wife, interrupts a women's meeting held at their home. He tells the women hello and that he is looking for his wife. When Dorothy appears, he begins to go through this whole monologue about how he was wrong and misses her and how they should be together. Then he utters the words, you complete me. Yes. And with a tear in his eye, Dorothy responds, you had me at hello. Yes. Now that sounds awesome, doesn't it? Life does not work like that. <laughs> My husband did not get that script. Okay, life just does not work like that. And honestly, you know, when we're looking for our husbands to validate us, we are looking for them to fill the hole, fill the void that is there, right? And the void can only be filled by God. Honestly, it only can be filled by God. But yet, when we're not filling it with God, we're using trinkets, trophies, money, food, you fill in the blank right? Those are the things that we're looking to satiate this hole. But as you can see, the hole is still there, right? And not only is the hole there, but then we, I know for me, 
sometimes I would even sneak food. I would do all sorts of things just to fill that hole. And God is like, that hole's not going to be filled. You're going to be lonely. You're going to feel empty. And you even may feel ashamed because I know that I did. I really did. And so God is like, the only way that that hole is ever going to be filled is with me. That's what I am here for. And when I really started looking at it that way, when I realized that everything done in the secret, <laughs> just like it says in Luke 12, 20, I mean 12, 2, it says everything that is secret will be brought out into the open. Everything that is hidden will be uncovered, you know? And it's so true because that's when we had like this explosive argument. And he's like, what are we even arguing about? And God showed me we're arguing about the fact that you are trying to make him God and not me. That was, that was huge. That was huge for me. But anyway, uh, I have, like I said, the knack of seeing all the wonderful things in other people and not in myself. If you do this, I just want you, um, well, before I even tell you that, this week on Facebook, they had this quiz, okay? And the quiz was uh, seeing what you remember from your senior year of, of high school. For me, it was a long time ago, okay? <laughs> I'm just gonna say that, it was a long time ago. And so, I put on there, uh, you know, that I wasn't popular, you know, all, all of these things. And someone responded, they're like, I remember you being popular. And they were saying all of these positive things about me. And even in the midst of them saying these positive things about me, I'm like, oh, no. And it's like, shut up, girl, and just take the compliment. You know what I mean? We don't do that. We don't do that. Okay, so I don't know why we do this. I, don't, I really don't know why we do this. Uh, when we do this, it's more like self-loathing right? This is what God wants. He says, I, he wants us to see it this way. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. So not only is it good enough that God made us fearfully and wonderfully, but he wants us to know it. And he wants us to know it very well. <laughs> okay. And so he's saying, respect, <laughs> respect what I have made and cherish it because it is wonderful. Now, that's going to take us into, are, are you writing that down? I'll, I'll leave it if you're writing it down. Okay. No, no, okay. All right. So then that brings us to the next pillar, which is respect. That is actually our husband's deepest need. For the longest time, I thought it was sex. <laughs> I really did. And I, I remember talking to my husband and saying to him, I need for you to do this. I need for you to do that. Right. And then I'd wait and it wouldn't get done. You know, wait a couple of days. I, I figured that was long suffering. Right. I waited a couple of days and then he didn't do it. And so then I'd tell him again, gently, he still didn't do it. And I'm like, <laughs> turned into the nag. Right. And I remember him finally saying to me, I'm going to do it. But when you nag me, I don't want to do it. And he said, and it's also nice if, you know, sometimes it seems like it's my idea. I was like, okay. When are you going to do it, though? <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking. But I ask you, how would you define respect? <laughs> uh, treating another with 
of them more highly than you would yourself. Okay. Valued. Valued. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good. Yeah. Value and treating them highly. Okay. So give me some examples in your life of respecting your husband. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've done it once or twice. I know you have. Yeah, like, so uh, we had a, a decision to make about our car. Mm-hmm. That last summer the engine died, and I didn't want to replace it. I just wanted to get a different car, mm-hmm. and he wanted to replace it. And mm-hmm. I was like, I, you know, we just kind of made that. It's like, okay, you can make that decision, but it's on you. <laughs> and talked to some people and prayed about it, you know, and I disagreed, but mm-hmm. I respected his decision. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> that's right. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. My car is actually right there, right there too, with, with the check engine light coming on, and my husband wants to replace it, and I'm, I'm you know, like replace the car, and I'm like, no, I just, can we just fix right. the engine? Like, it's paid off. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see that, yeah. Because uh-huh. I don't like debt, so I'm like, it's paid off. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Very true. Oh, that's not good when you're on the interstate with your kids when it happens. Yeah, no. Oh, hot. (laughs) Okay. Well, how how did your husband respond after you just said? I mean, he appreciated it. And there's been a lot of those kinds of decisions that, you know, we have disagreed on, and some that he will let me make, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. But I think he appreciated me, you know, just kind of letting him make that. Letting him make the decision. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Well, I know I have an an example of when I completely was not respecting my husband. He kind of, he came home, and my husband is a man of few words when we're in the house. Okay, because that's like his sanctuary. His peace is quiet. He likes it. But this day, he was quite talkative. And I really had a lot of work to get done, right? So I'm just do, 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 do. And he's just telling me about his day and he's going on and on and on. And like, I can hear him talking, but I honestly couldn't tell you what he said. And then he's like, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And I realized, you know, as I'm looking up, he, he's been looking at me this whole time. He had actually stopped talking and then said, right. And I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, so obviously I was not respecting him. I wasn't even looking the poor man in the eye. Okay, so here are some ways that we can show respect. Don't y'all laugh at my graphics now. Okay, so we can look him in the eye. (laughs) We can definitely look him in the eye when he is sharing anything, but especially the events of his day, because he is allowing you to be a part of that world too. You know, because for a man, work is like the bulk of their day. That's where they spend the most time, right? And so now they're inviting you into that world, so we should probably try to listen. Yes, and actually attentively listen with some eye contact. And then the next one is, oh, tell him how proud you are of something that he did. Okay, so my husband, he actually went and washed the car. And his car is his baby. When he washed my car, I was like, thank you. You know, I really appreciated that. You're so thoughtful. (laughs) Then the next one is, oh, praise him for the things that he does well and then pray about the rest. I remember with my hubby, oh, he, he was an amazing soldier, 
and I, I say was, but is. I say was because he's coming up on retirement, and I think he's got like that retirement brain. But uh, he is an amazing soldier. You know, whatever needs to be done for the Army's sake, he would do it. However, <laughs> there were some areas where he struggled, and it was like key areas where he struggled. And the Lord was like, Sakina, you can't take over just because he's struggling in this area. You got to give it to me. You got to respect him and you got to give it to me. And that was like such a tug of war that the Lord and I had. And I think my joints <laughs> were, were like displaced or mis misplaced. Is it displaced, misplaced? You know what I'm trying to say. Uh, <laughs> I think they were. And it really felt like Jacob, you know, wrestling with God with that. But the fruit of that was so amazing because where he lacked, where he had a weakness, God really showed himself strong. And so if your husbands are dealing with some things that you're like, oh, when is he ever going to get this? <laughs> like when? You know, just know that God will definitely be strong in his weakness. Love that. Okay, the next, this is my favorite. Okay, talk about him, but talk about him great, right? Whether he's there or whether he's not there. Never say anything negative. Always talk about him great. I remember my husband caught me talking about him great one time. And oh my goodness, anything I asked him to do, it was done. <laughs> like, I didn't have to wait. It was done. I was like, man, I didn't know it was this easy. But now don't do it to manipulate. <laughs> but really, it was really that, that awesome. Now, when we don't do this and when we act like I did with the nagging, God has so many scriptures about that, but I'm only going to give you two. <laughs> okay. So Proverbs 21.9 says, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. That's also almost verbatim, Proverbs 25, 24. And you know, when you think about that, a man would rather live on the corner of a roof than be in the house with you. Because that's how it was, like in those first two years. He, I mean, any chance he could get to leave the house, he was gone, gone. And that's not how marriage should be, you know? So I really had to curtail the nagging. Okay, so then uh, let's see. I think we went over that already. So Proverbs 31, we, we did that. So that's, that's a, a good thing. So next, we're going to get into our fourth pillar. Were there four ways to show respect? Is that what Yes, yes. So I, I can go over them again. No, that's okay. You I sure? Just, I just wasn't sure. If yep. Nope, there's only four. Okay, so uh, we went through that. Now we're going to get into submission. Yeah. I know, that's that four-letter word. That four-letter word, whoa. So this was probably, out of all the pillars, it was, it was much easier to be at peace. It was much easier to love. It was hard to submit. And it was hard to submit in those areas where he may not have been as strong. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so since we have found that submission is not a four-letter word, <laughs> As a homeschool family, because we, we homeschool, so we go through a variety of subjects. But I think my favorite subject is debate. And I love debate because the first rule of debate is define your terms. And the reason you have to define your terms is because you need to make sure you're arguing about the same thing. Okay, so one person could be arguing about submission and another person can be arguing about submission. But if they have two completely different 
definitions for it, they're not arguing about the same thing. And Lord knows, I looked up the word submission. Oh, my eyes, my eyes, and I have filters. So, yes, yes. And I was like, Lord, you should have warned me. But yeah, definitely, the world does not have the biblical definition of submission. So, uh, in First Peter chapter three. Verse one, it says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. This scripture right here was a marriage game changer for me. Okay. The term submission here means to agree to refer a matter to a third party for decision or adjudication. Okay, so yes, it's to agree to refer a matter to a third party for decision or adjudication. Okay, so you're like, what? <laughs> Close. Okay, so it's not quite an attorney. It would be to bring it to an arbiter. Do you know what an arbiter is? <laughs> like, what is that? So an arbiter, if, if you ever heard the term arbitration, like, you know, like when you, yeah. yeah. So, and it's not even necessarily someone to argue for you. It is a third party that is not on this side and they're not on this side. They are neutral and they hear both sides and they make the decision. Whatever the arbiter says, that's what goes. Right. So when we're thinking about submission, we're not submitting to our husbands per se. We're taking the matter to a third party, which is God. Yeah. And, and we're like, oh, I was like, oh, OK, Lord, that means you got this. It <laughs> means I don't have to have this. You got this. So this scripture, like I said, is a marriage game changer. And when we understand, like really grab a hold of the definition and the purpose of submission as it is established and clarified by God, it transforms first our way of thinking. OK, because now when I'm angry with him for doing whatever it is that he did or didn't do, you know, now my way of thinking is, Lord, I'm not angry with him. I'm not angry with you. And how can I be angry with you? So now I've got to change my way of thinking. So as I am submitting to God, it kind of softens my heart toward my husband. You know how it talks about that you're not battling against flesh and blood, but you know, you're, you're battling against the spirits of darkness in this world. Not saying my husband was, you know, spirit of darkness, but, <laughs> uh, but we do. And so when we're not looking at the flesh and blood and we're seeing the spiritual realm in which we are truly living in and what's going on, we're submitting to God. So that's the first thing, it changes your way of thinking. Then it changes your way of living. So now when I speak to my husband, I'm speaking to him in a manner of, I am respecting God. And so because I'm respecting God, I'm going to respect you. He's the arbiter. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Because right there, you see where it says, yes, yes. And it says, you know, just to, if, if he's disobedient, to be to win him over without a word. And I am telling you, so I actually got saved before my husband did. And we lived, oh, we lived on Fort Bragg. 
and there's not a lot to do on Fort Bragg. So there are two things to do, go to church or not go to church. Okay, and when you don't go to church, there's a whole lot of stuff you can get into when you don't go to church, right? So I'm like, okay, Lord, he's not going to church. Uh, God only knows what he's doing when he's not there and I'm there on Sunday, you know, but I don't really know what else to do other than tell him he needs to be in church. And the Lord is like, you didn't create him. You're not his mom. Was I really acting like his mom? I was like, oh God, I was acting like my mother-in-law. <laughs> but he said, I just, I just need you to be quiet. Don't say anything. You just treat him the best way you know how. In fact, don't treat him the best way you know how. Treat him the way you want him to be so that he can walk and become that. Uh. Really, Lord? <laughs> If y'all could have just seen the, the, the fight that we were having, I felt like Jacob the entire time because it, it was hard. It was very hard. But then third, it changes the perception of marriage for all the people around you. So this is what happened when I talked about the gentries, that couple that was just like amazing. This is what happened with them. She submitted to her husband and her husband submitted to her. In Ephesians 5:21, it talks about, there we go. It talks about being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So a husband's deepest need is to be respected. It is to be submitted to, okay? That is a sign of respect when you are submitting to your husband. But God said, hey, 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 it's not just a one-way street, you know? He is to honor you the same as you honor him. Wow. So when I was looking at that, um, I want to share this slide with you. It says, when our mindset is altered to conform to God's mindset, all of the pillars and foundation are then used to hold our marriage up instead of have those pillars crush our heads. <laughs> Okay, because they really can. If we don't have that foundation of God, you trusting in God, all those pillars, they're just going to crush our head. They really will. But the way we went through 1 Peter chapter 3, it's like 1 Peter chapter 3 and Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, they mirror each other. So both Paul and Peter were both talking about submission. So I'm going to read both of those to you. Let me see if I have both of them. Yeah, I do. <clears throat> so you're in luck. Okay. Ephesians 5, 22 through 25 reads, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it gives a charge to the, to, to the wives to be respectful to the husband or submit to the husband. But then it also gives the husband a charge to love his wife. Now, why do you think God didn't tell husbands specifically to submit to your wife or to respect your wife? Why do you think he said it to women and not to men? 
I know, right? Yes! Ding, 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 ding. It is more difficult for us to submit. If we go to uh, Genesis, I want to say it's Genesis 3. I didn't actually, I didn't I even write it down. Either. Yes, where it said that the woman will want to rule over her husband. We just, we're like, let's get it done. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yes, and so God is like, no, I have to tell you time and time and time again. You need to submit to him. But then why do you think God said, husbands, love your wives? Because we need to know that he's, he loves us and that we trust him in yeah. order so that we can submit. Yeah, we, they, we do need to know that they love us, definitely. And also, it's not a natural inclination for them. They know we beat up too much. Yeah. yeah. They, they, it's, it's just, it's not natural. Yeah, it's not natural. Mm-mm. Yeah. Right, we'll say it all the time. I love you. <laughs> like even my son, I'll put little notes in his lunch, right? I love you. Mom. He took it out today. He's like, Ma, I love you. You could put this in my room. <laughs> Don't put it in my lunch, man. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, growing up, whatever. Yeah, so um, wives are to be submissive. Now, it, now that's Ephesians, right? So then we get to First Peter chapter 3, and it, it almost mirrors it, okay? So it says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, okay? And then in verse 7, it says, in the same way, you wives, live, I'm sorry, same way you husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, with great gentleness and tact, and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. That's from the Amplified Version. As with someone physically weaker, since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life. I love this. Here we go. So that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. Wow. So when I first read this, I kind of got in my feelings and I'm like, physically weaker. What are you talking about? <laughs> and you know, it's so funny because like y'all have seen my husband. Okay. So when we got married, I was a little slimmer. <laughs> okay. So I was like 104 pounds when we got married. Right. My husband was about 215. <laughs> and I really thought in my mind, like, I was as strong as he was, if not stronger. And so when I'm reading this, I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah, okay, I was delirious because I don't know in what realm that would have been possible. But yeah, but I love how God gives a charge and then he gives you the consequences of not following that charge. So right here, it says, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. So by you doing this, he's saying, by you being submissive, you can win this man over who is presently disobedient just by being submissive. But then he's saying to the husbands, you love your wife just as Christ loved the church, so that your prayers can flow freely unhindered. Wow. 
that's a mouthful there. That, that really is a mouthful. But then if you go a little deeper in 1 Peter, so I love Ephesians. I absolutely love Ephesians. But 1 Peter kind of opens up something that I never caught before, okay? And it says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, a, a lot of times when people read the scripture, they'll take it as, oh, well, you shouldn't, you know, wear makeup, you shouldn't do that. That's not what the Lord said, okay? The Lord is very specific in the words that he puts in his scripture. And he said, do not let your adornment be merely outward, which means, please, as, as my pastor, my old pastor would say, if the barn needs painting, <laughs> paint the barn. <laughs> so paint the barn as you see fit, but don't let that be the only thing you're painting. If the outside is painted more than the inside, then that's where the problems lay. So I love that. And it says with the imperishable quality. So that means it's not going to go away. So all that stuff, all that stuff that you're doing on the outside, that's going to go away at some point. Okay, you can, you're only going to be as cute as, you know, the day is long. <laughs> but the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. That word gentle, let me see, make sure I'm still good on time here. Oh yeah, okay, so I got about 20 minutes. Okay, so <laughs> that word gentle, that word gentle means, let's see if I have it right here. Yes, it involves humility and thankfulness toward God and a polite, restrained behavior toward others. I'll read that again, because that was good. Okay, it says, it involves humility and thankfulness toward God and a polite, restrained behavior toward others. I can think of a few times where I really had to be restrained. <laughs> and I would say, Holy Spirit, thank you for, for holding me back. <laughs> thank you very much for holding my tongue. Thank you. It probably saved our marriage today for me shutting my mouth. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's the gentle. And then quiet. Quiet means undisturbed, at rest, a quiet waiting to be at ease. I remember uh, in the simulcast where Priscilla Shire was talking about resting and receiving. I don't know if y'all heard that where she was talking about just the, the vine and the vine and the vine dresser. So the vine would be Jesus, right? And we are the branches, right? As the branches, we're just supposed to rest and receive the nutrients from the vine, receive the nutrients that God is allowing with the sun right? That's what we're supposed to do. And here God is saying, I want you to have that type of quiet spirit. Just rest. Because as you are quiet, as you are gentle, you are restraining your behavior and you are being thankful and humble toward me. I am going to allow you to receive what it is that you're asking in my name, according to my word. Wow. To be able to just do that, as opposed to you know, because honestly, that's stressful. That's stressful for the nagger. It's stressful for the naggy, you know, but if we're just gentle and quiet and it says, which is precious in the sight of God, that is so awesome. Precious in the sight of God. So I don't think I have any more. Let me see. Do I have it? Nope. Oh, 
you know, I don't have one. Okay, so I want to share this one poem with you. It's about gentleness, okay? And it is, let me see who wrote it. I'm trying to see if I can remember who wrote it. Oh, it's called The Village Blacksmith by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, okay? Are, are you familiar with the poem? No, okay. So it takes a strong person to truly be gentle. Would you agree? Okay, because, you know, weak people, they just, as, as my mother would say, they just have diarrhea of the mouth. Like, they don't stop talking, right? But in this particular poem, it is of a very strong character displaying a very gentle spirit. So the smith, a mighty man is he, with large and sinewy hands, and the muscles of his brawny arms are strong as iron bands. However, in church, as he hears his daughter singing a hymn, the smith is overcome with emotion, and with his hard, rough hands, he wipes a tear out of his eyes. This is gentleness, might restrained, humility and grace. I love that poem. But it is the picture of we as women, we are called to be so strong. You know, uh, the husband trusts in us. And that Proverbs 31 woman, she was not a weak woman, right? She was a seamstress. She got up early in the morning. She stayed up late at night. She went all the way across the river so she could sell her merchandise. Like she, she bought a farm, I mean, a, a vineyard. She like did all these things, right? God bless her. <laughs> So I'm like, who that's early. <laughs> but she did, she gave to the poor. She did all of these things. A weak person does not do that. But yet in the midst of all of that, she still was able to be gentle and humble before her husband so that he could be known in the gates. 